0: Welcome to Susie Petrozzi's Empowered Conversations. With over 20 years of experience as a clinical psychologist, Susie is an expert at taking people on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery. Join Susie as she talks to remarkable people who share their insights and lessons for living a purpose-driven life to inspire you in your own journey.
1: My guest today is Georgia Campbell. And um, she's from Sydney's northern beaches. But you know what? This hasn't stopped her from pursuing her passion and interest in Australian agriculture. She's a real trailblazer. Um, She's very passionate in what she does and she is really bringing together education and agriculture to kids at schools right across New South Wales. She's actually managing a project that's aimed at exposing children across New South Wales to farms and agricultural systems. I have known Georgia for some time and Always been impressed and really inspired by the journey that she's taken, and that's what I'm here to talk to her about. Georgia, thank you so much for agreeing to be on Empowered Conversations.
0: That's okay, Susie. That was such a lovely introduction. Thank you. (laughs) So, tell me
1: about your journey because you've really um, you've really gone on this incredibly enriching adventure.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a funny one. But I think every time I look back at it, there's no way I regret any of sort of the pathways I've gone down. So I grew up, like you said, in the northern beaches of Sydney, which is probably about as far from agriculture as you can get in (laughs) Australia. Um, and I'm the eldest of five, so there's a lot of us. Um, we always had a bit of competitive spirit in us all as well. Um, but you know, we were always raised like my mum's biggest message to us was do what you're passionate about. Like when you go to work, it shouldn't feel like work. It should be something you enjoy. Um, you know, she's a rowing coach and she used to say, well, my office is Sydney Harbour at sunrise and that's pretty cool. So make sure you find something in your life that gives you that same satisfaction. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, I sort of, took that very seriously, I suppose, you know, which caused a few questions along the way I think every now and then, but I've always done what I've wanted to do and what I've been passionate about. Um, and yeah, like I said, I wouldn't change it Mm. for the world.
1: So you, and, and that's like, what an incredible, um, what an incredibly important message to have your parents say to you and you know good good on good on mom for for doing that and I know, I know your parents well and you know I'm not surprised at all and you know it's always been um, so um, amazing to watch you as a family because there are five of you right and you've got yeah. you've got twins you are brothers you've got a set of brothers <laughs> they're twins yeah. um, so yeah. I can't I, I just I always think your mother is such an incredible incredible woman. She just, but, but she kind of did things with these because I wonder it's because of what she, because she did what she loved. Right. And so you went on and you did the first, you studied the, in the first cohort of Bachelor of Food and Agribusiness at University of Sydney. And you participated in quite a number of leadership and development programs um, and just continued and continued. So tell me, like, tell me, You know, tell me about that um, uh, when you went to uni and your journey there because whilst you were passionate, sometimes university can present a different picture of what we thought we wanted to do. What was it like for you?
0: Yeah, I think, to be honest, the most interesting conversation I had was right before I started uni and it was with my dad and he sort of went, why agriculture? Like I know you like doing it at school but I sort of thought you know, that was just something you liked doing. You know, why why are you doing agriculture at uni? What, what are the opportunities in that? And it wasn't to deter me from following what I wanted to do. I think he was genuinely, he just didn't know what a future in agriculture looked like, um, probably, especially for a young woman from Sydney. So it was a really interesting transition, I suppose, because I did make a very... Different decision to a lot of my friends. Um, you know, there were only nine of us out of a cohort of 240 in my high school that studied agriculture. And I was the only one out of those nine to then study it at university. So you sort of got these really like, what do you mean you're studying agriculture? Like what what does that even mm. mean? Um and so I found this degree at Sydney and we were going to be the first cohort that went through it. Um, mm. and it had an embedded honours program in the end of it. So that was always a bit of an attraction as well. It was just part of the degree that everyone would do an honours project at the end. Um, and it, it, look, it wasn't without its challenges. There were only, one of the great things was there were only 20 of us doing the degree. So mm. you got to know everyone really, really well. And I think sometimes at university, when you study sort of maybe more popular degrees like business or science or commerce, you don't have that, you know, friendship mm. aspect in your degree because you go to a lecture with a 1,000 people in it, whereas it was only 20 of us and we were there for four years together. Um, so that was really unique and special, but it also meant that they basically said on the first day of university, they're like, oh, so you guys are our guinea pigs mm. um, for the degree. And we went, well, you know, we're, we're paying to be here and it's a 4 year choice we've made I don't really like that we're being guinea pigs but okay that's what we are I suppose um but it was really cool because we actually got to put input into the faculty um Mm. and the degree itself and then we saw those changes actually come in for the years below us so it was actually quite a special thing that probably not a lot of people get to do as part of their university experience Mm. um you know, we had to sit through some pretty yucky subjects that we then said aren't necessary, so no one else ever had to do them, but we had to do them. So it was a bit of a, yeah. a double-edged sword, I suppose. But, you know, it was it was a really lucky thing we got to do, I think. Um, and since then, the degree's gotten a whole lot bigger. I think the year below us had 100 in it. So oh, wow. It exponentially grew. Um, but, yeah, I think being part of that first group was something quite special. Um
1: yeah so you essentially you shaped yeah. the degree to for years to come in a way
0: yeah somewhat i well, we like to think so um, <laughs> and yeah we had a re- we had because we were such a small group, we had a really nice relationship with our lecturers and our tutors and you know the faculty in general and it was a really lovely space because everybody was there with very different ambitions and goals in mind. there was no competitiveness, i mm-hmm. suppose like. We all wanted to do well, but we all weren't training to take the same job. Mm. So there was a really nice diverse mix of people that wanted to do different things and had different opinions and it didn't have any of that, you know, competitive aspect that some other degrees might have. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it it was a really lovely time and I still catch up with a really, you know, there's about 10 of us that catch up quite regularly and I don't often hear of people that still have those friendships from university because of their degree being so small. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was a really, really special time.
1: So Georgia, where did it then take you, you know, you, you did the degree. Um, so did you go on with your honors?
0: Yes, I did. Um, so again, you know, following mum's old, do what you're interested in. Um, mm. I looked at the list that they offered and I said, I don't like any of those, so I'm going to make mine up myself. Um, and I decided to look into the nutritional differences between eggs produced in different systems. Um, so, you know, your caged eggs versus mm. barn, rate Free range, all that. Um, you know, it was it a was really interesting looking back. Um, I think I would have worked a little bit harder on it, so that's a really interesting reflection for me, but it was really cool sort of choosing something that I wanted to learn about and getting to immerse myself in it for a whole year.
1: Mm. Um, As opposed to picking something that was offered, is that what you mean on the, on the list of say research projects or possibilities? the the
0: university gave us a list of, you know, we're running these projects. Mm. If you want to choose one for your honours, you can do that. Here's your supervisor. Mm. And I sort of had to go out and find my supervisors and everything. And my, you know, resources and yeah. some funding myself because I hadn't chosen something that mm. was on their list. Um, so I probably made it harder for myself, but yeah, I just, I sort of looked at that list and went, I'm not interested in that. And I have to spend 12 months in depth looking at it. So I may as well be interested in it. Um, so mm. that's what that happened.
1: Yeah. So tell me just aside, I'm now interested, I'm, I'm really curious. Um, so what did you learn? Like what, you know, when you're talking about eggs in different kinds of systems, Um, what came out of that study?
0: Uh, It's it's a really, it's going to be a really vague response because it really depends on what you're looking at. So calcium is higher in some, but you know, your vitamin levels are different Mm -hmm. in others. But the other thing I looked at was the price value of the nutritional difference. So even if free range eggs are better for you, Mm -hmm. they're more expensive. And so there's no balance for people that don't have that, Option, I suppose, you know, per dollar, the nutritional aspect comes out quite similar. And for people that can't afford to take mm-hmm. make that choice of those higher end choices, you know, there's nothing wrong with them choosing um, cage or barn eggs. You know, that was a really big part of the project was. Actually, food value. Um, yeah. People in different demographics. So.
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, so Georgia, where did that? Where did you think? What What happened? What kind of doors opened up for you after you after uni?
0: Um, yeah, so I actually worked um, at a butcher throughout my last two years of university, um, and they were a really paddock to plate oriented business. They're fantastic, and I learned a lot. Um, And I think what happened is everyone in my degree was suddenly applying for all these grad programs with banks and advisory firms and big food companies. And I sort of went, oh, my goodness, I need to do something about that because, you know, and that was all happening in April or May of our last year, which is so much further away than you think you would need to start thinking Mm. about those decisions. Um, So I sort of just chucked my hat in the ring and I ended up being accepted into a graduate program at um, well they're now Nutrien Ag Solutions but they were previously known as Rural Co when I was there and you know for me coming out of university that's a really that looked like a really big achievement because you know this was a big Australian agribusiness company they only take a small cohort in their grad program you know it sort of ticked all those standard boxes um, that people might think a successful graduate Mm. looks like. Um, you know, and I loved it. It had a, re- it, you know, it did give me the um, option to stay in Sydney, which was one of its big attractions as well. Um, so, you know, there were positives there. I learned a lot. Um, but I think ultimately what came out of that was the corporate world is not my thing. Mm. Um, isn't it you know, great and, to,
1: sorry to interrupt, yeah. isn't it great to learn, for you to learn that early on or for anyone else to know exactly, well, this is not where my heart is.
0: Yeah. And I say to people all the time, there's nothing wrong with not liking something because it's just as important, if not more, to figure out what you are not interested in rather mm-hmm. than spending 20 years pursuing something and then finding out you don't enjoy it. Um, you so know, important. I think it's yeah, maybe even more important to figure out what you don't like early on.
1: Mm, it's so important. So um, I, I just wonder where this experience fits. So, um, and and maybe maybe I'm jumping the gun here. Um you you actually moved to Northern Territory for a period of time. Am I jumping the gun here in terms no, of that that's, experience? That's
0: pretty much it. So as part of the graduate program, I went down to Swan Hill and did some livestock work for about six weeks and I absolutely loved it. And then towards the end of that, the head office sort of rang me as so they said, right, we need you back in Sydney. And I said, Well, the whole point of the grad program is I get to try things and find something that I'm enjoying and then start pursuing that. You know, I don't, I don't want to come back to the Sydney head office. And they said, no, you need to. Mm. Um, and so I sort of said, well, I don't want to, so I'm not going to. Um, and I got a job as a governess up in the Northern Territory, which is like an on-station schoolroom teacher. Amazing. Um, it's the best way to describe it. Um, so no teaching experience. Um you know, never lived in the territory, never lived that remote. Um, but it's always something that had sort of niggled in the back of my mind. And I remember my mum's response when I rang her up and said, you know, I'm doing this crazy thing was, oh, I knew you were going to do something like this, but did you have to go so far away? Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did she <you> really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I was like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry, but I figure if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it all out. So yeah, off I went to the middle of nowhere. Wow. Um, you something know, I'd never done before.
1: Georgia, um, just before uh, our, we started this conversation, I looked up, I looked up, um, uh, I looked up uh, Alexandria, what's it called? Alexandria, Alexandria Station. Yeah. And the photos are magnificent. But what was that like for you? How long were you there for?
0: Um, I was there for about eight months. Mm. Um so, which I think was really nice because I sort of got there as the um, hot wet season had finished and so I got the nicer months of the year um, mm. living up there. So I had a really nice experience in that sense. Um, it was terrifying. I remember I sort of planned, so I drove to Mount Isa with my mum which took us four days and then I had to do the last four hours by myself because there was no way mum could have gotten back. Mm. Um, so I remember planning it so that when I got there to Alex. I had to, I had to stay at least one night. I didn't have time to turn around and drive back to Mount Isa if I decided it was too scary. So I sort of forced myself to have to be there for at least a day. Um, which, you know, I, I knew what I was doing and it was, I just think I, otherwise I would have had an excuse to turn around and go home.
1: Is that, Um, is that how, is that what it got to? And I could imagine, this is anxiety-provoking, changed, yeah, first time I mean, away from home, from your family. You
0: know, and I'd never met any of the people that lived there. You know, mm. there were 40 people that worked there, so I was w- walking into this brand-new community. Yeah. I'd only ever spoken to one of them over the phone. Um, everything else had been via email. I didn't know what my bedroom was going to look like. I didn't know where my dog was going to sleep. I didn't know if the kids were going to be nice kids, like mm. I didn't know if the food was going to be any good. Yeah. So there was all of this stuff that, you know, it just adds up. It was super exciting, but there's, you're always going to be anxious about a decision like that when it actually comes to it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it like, and I'm so glad I did stay cause I had the best six months. It was so unique. I think um, it was just fantastic.
1: Tell Life me about it more. So you know, here you are walking into a new community. Did you did you say you came late in the evening?
0: Yeah. So I sort <sighs> of drove in late at night, um, or not late at night. So late in the afternoon, and it's a four hour drive to the nearest town. Mm-hmm. Um, so and you don't want to do that road in the dark, basically. Mm-hmm. So I had to stay one night um, and wake up and go to school as a teacher the next day, um, and then yeah, it just it clicked into gear. I was really lucky that the other teacher in the classroom, she'd been teaching for a long time. Um, so she sort of knew all the nuts and bolts of things. You know, my job was really to, you know, just jump in and help, um, you know, whichever kids at the time needed help with their schoolwork. And I sort of, we sort of ended up dividing up the classroom, you know, the old divide and conquer tactic. There was one teacher with the kindy kids. I had sort of your K to threes and then she had, the older, the other teacher had the older kids. Um, so, yeah, it was a really, really unique experience. We had 12 kids, mm. sorry, no, 10 kids in the classroom, um, you know, from ages from four to year 11. So wow. what's that mean? um And so in itself, that's a really unique situation in the school of mm. distance education system. No other classroom was that big. Mm. Most of them only have two or three kids in the same family. We had four families
1: Mm.
0: with kids and most of those kids had never been in a group situation before. So we had to teach them how to share, Uh, you know, and how to respect others and how to talk to people and how to make friends. You know, those kids live in an incredibly isolating situation. mm. You know, lots of them have never lived in a town or a city. They've lived on these big stations their whole life. And so to throw them all in, you know, to a classroom with 10 other kids with different needs and wants and, you know, behaviours mm. was just as much a challenge as actually teaching them the curriculum.
1: <laughs> Incredible. Wow. Yeah. And and how were you throughout this process, you know, thrown into the deep end? Is there a part of you that kind of just, you know, took to it um, and focused on what needed to be done or was there a part of you Asking yourself, is this the right thing for me? I just wonder how long did it take you to really settle into it?
0: Um, look, as anything, you know, as, with any job, no matter where you are, it probably takes you at least a month to really find that click into gear. Um, and, you know, the, the unique thing about working on Alex was that everyone, or well, most people were a young, was a young person living away from home as well. So right. my situation wasn't unique in that sense. It was just my actual role on the station was a bit different to most. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're all sitting around trying to find the tiniest bit of Wi-Fi to call our parents for five <laughs> minutes, like, you know, and then we all go and have a have a drink at the end of the day. And, you know, on the weekends there's nothing to do because you're so far from anywhere, so you find something to do. And, you know, so I guess it was lucky that the group I was with were all, you know, quite young as well. Mm. Um, so that that always helps when you're surrounded with people going through a similar situation, I think.
1: And Georgia, um, when you, so looking back at that time now, um, how old were you then when you did that?
0: Um, I was, oh, goodness, um, I was 24.
1: Okay, and you're now, how old are you now?
0: Uh, I'm turning 27. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so not that
1: long ago, but looking, you know, look at you've, you've, you've gained experience in your, in your field, but also life wise, looking back at that experience now, what did it, how did it change and shape you as a person?
0: Um, I think the big thing was I can do this. Um, you know, that was, I, you know, I don't want to say that I'm better than anyone else, but I don't know a lot of people that would make that decision completely independently to go and move. You know, it's a 26-hour drive yeah. nonstop to Sydney, which is where I would spent my entire life. Mm. Um, you know, I didn't have phone reception while I was there. I had to scab off the school Wi-Fi. So you were completely isolated. So I think the big thing I took out of that was I can do that. Mm. You know, um, you know, I, and so if I can do something like that, there's not much else I don't think I could do. Yeah, uh, um, I suppose is the big thing I took away from it is, you know, that's that was a pretty weird thing to do, and all my friends <laughs> sitting there going, "What the hell are you getting yourself into? Like, <laughs> are we ever going to see you again? Like, what what happens now?" Kind of thing. So that's yeah. the big lesson I learned probably um, was. I can do big things if i if i if I want to mm. um, so.
1: what was it like coming back to Sydney after you finished that
0: I was, i just it was like the classic when everyone comes to Sydney like, oh, everything's so expensive <laughs> <laughs> it was probably the first thing because out there you know there's nothing, so you don't spend any money yeah. <laughs> um, so you know that was always that, and I remember you know, driving into Sydney and hitting the Pacific Highway and, like, I'd obviously gone through some towns on the way, but I hadn't sat in traffic Mm. for, like, a good eight months. So there was all of that kind of just quickly readjusting, um, which obviously didn't take long because that's my my natural habitat anyway, I suppose, but it was really, I think it gave me this huge perspective on how other people choose to live. Mm. um you know not everybody wants or understands the importance of a good education you know a lot of the kids in that classroom were just waiting to turn 16 so they could go and be a ringer or drive a tractor Mm. um and that's great but there was no no concept from their parents of oh you could do something more if you wanted to and so I think I had this really broad perspective on I was raised knowing that education was super, super important and valued, but mm. not everyone has had that upbringing. Yeah. Um, so that was probably the big thing I took away. It was probably some of the things I struggled with the most is that none of the parents was particularly even aware that kids would go to university if they wanted to.
1: Mm. Um,
0: and I'm, I don't think that university is for everyone, absolutely not, that there was no sort of that's... An option for me. They didn't even think of it as an option. Um, so that was quite a challenge and quite a big eye-opening thing for me too, um, as well, while I was up there.
1: It's incredible. It's incredible, isn't it? Like it really does put things into perspective um, and, yeah. it, and it broadens your, broadens your thinking. It really shifts your perspective about Um, how people choose to live their life, as you were saying, choices that we make. Now, Georgia, what are you doing now? Where are you at now?
0: Um, So I'm currently managing a program at New South Wales Farmers, which is all about connecting primary school kids in New South Wales to agriculture. Um, so I've sort of combined my agriculture and my education or my sort of tiny bit of education background, um, Mm. and yeah, put them together. And so, yeah, I'm now, um, administering this program that tries to get school kids in primary schools across New South Wales, out to farms, talking to farmers, learning about where their food and fiber comes from.
1: Wow. What do you, so as your, I don't, how long have you been in this, um, in this role?
0: Um, I'm actually coming up to my one year anniversary in the role. Okay. So
1: what are you, I mean, you know, there's, I imagine there's a, it's a big mission and it's a big, big goal in terms of, uh, in terms of the program. What kind of change are you hearing about? What change are you noticing? And why is, why is this so important and significant?
0: I think one of the toughest things that I've learned when I'm, you know, visiting schools and have schools visiting farms and having conversations with kids, you know, a lot of the time I'm the one standing in front of the class, maybe there's a farmer with me, we're having these conversations, is unfortunately where we are at in Sydney is a lot of the perception around agriculture is built on negative stories. So for example, we've had the mouse plague, Mm. we've had bushfires, we've had floods, we've had food that's not on supermarket shelves. Um, and there are a lot of the questions we get asked by the kids is, you know, about this or that. And so a lot of our work is actually about turning that into a really positive story. And it's saying, yeah, like this farmer had a bushfire, but look at how green their paddocks are now. And like, when that happened, they had to move their cattle here, but look, they've made all these changes. And that means that you guys get you know, milk and beef on your supermarket shelves again. So it's all about mm. changing the perception of agriculture as a really positive industry for young kids um, because a lot of kids, especially in Sydney, you know, they're, they're the most interaction they have with agriculture is if they go to the shops with mum and dad, mm. um, you know, or if Absolutely they're lucky true. enough to have a veggie garden. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's all about telling this really positive story, um, which agriculture has so many positive stories. Mm. Um, You know, but it's all about making them aware that where your food and fibre comes from is a really important part of Australia as a whole, Mm. Um, you know, and there are opportunities in that for you if you want them.
1: Wow. So, what do you see? Like, I just imagine you um, sharing some of this information, whether, you know, with, with a farmer, like that would be really powerful. What do you see? Do you see things shift for kids? And, you know, what kind of questions might they ask then as you're sharing some of those opportunities and changing perspective um, around, yeah, around, um, around some of those opportunities?
0: Yeah, I think the big thing is I tell my own story a lot because I grew up in the middle of the city like and so you can stand there and say I did that and now I've gone and I've travelled overseas and I've lived in the Northern Territory and I've worked with really cute farm dogs and I get to feed lambs. Like, Mm. you know, you bring all those fun bits in there too but, you know, I think it's all about Saying it doesn't matter where you start, there's always a way to get to somewhere you want to go. Um, And we're actually really lucky at the moment because agriculture or food and agriculture has just been made mandatory in the K to six syllabus, as well as the seven and eight technology syllabus. So you've got a lot of teachers that suddenly need to add, you know, a little bit about agriculture and food and fibre into their classroom learning. So it's all about capturing that and helping them tell these great stories and messages um, Mm. as part of their classroom teaching.
1: That's awesome, isn't it? So up until now that wasn't part, that was a mandatory, it wasn't part of the syllabus?
0: No. So there's always bits in the science and the tech syllabus about, you know, um, you know, one of the Australian curriculum focuses at the moment is sustainability. So it's going to start, it gets talked about naturally and obviously you learn about your food pyramid and mm. all the rest of it. But now there is a really specific focus. It's not huge, but it's still, you know, a foot in the door about learning where your food and fibre comes from. Mm. Um, and that can be as simple as sitting with the kids and saying, okay, everyone's got socks on, you know, that they're made from cotton. Do Have you seen a cotton farm before? Let's look at some photos. Like, yeah. You know, it's it's really easy. All those kids come to school with a lunchbox and all that food comes from somewhere. So it's a really simple thing that you can integrate quite quickly um, mm. into a program, I suppose.
1: There's a real acknowledgement, isn't it? And when we acknowledge something, we make it real and we become yeah. more conscious and aware and and what better time to do that than at such a young age. And, in fact, then what happens, the kids are educating the parents in, in a lot of instances, and I yeah. think that's beautiful. Um so okay um and you you're in a place where you you enjoy your work you love what you're doing
0: I love my job <laughs> like I can't believe that in Sydney where my family and my friends are I found the perfect job like Lots of people talk about when they start a job, they have that sort of honeymoon period for the first couple of months and then they start, you know, finding a few bumps and bruises along the way. Like I am still so loving my job. It's insane. Like, I, I, talk, I tell my manager every week, I'm like, I can't believe that I get to do this. <laughs> like,
1: um, oh gosh, it's you know. so wonderful I, to hear. Yeah.
0: And I understand that's quite a unique and lucky situation. I've had jobs that I didn't enjoy at all as well. So... Um, I think when I'm enjoying my role, I'm, I'm so keen to get to my desk every morning um, and see what I can do with it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that comes a lot from the people I work with and the people I work for. um, And that's just reinforced all that messaging around surrounding yourself with the right people too. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love my job. I love my team. I love everything about it, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, it as as mum said, it doesn't feel like a job for me. <laughs> mm,
1: that message. And and you know what's interesting? I'm just thinking as you're saying that mum is a teacher, she's in education, dad's in vet science, he's a vet. So you've yeah. kind of merged the two somewhere along.
0: <laughs> yeah, somehow, some, somewhere <laughs> along the way, a bit weirdly. Um, but, yeah, so... Um, you know, and you sort of talk to people about what you do, and you go out, you know, for a drink mm-hmm. or catch up with friends, and they're like, "That is the weirdest job to have in Sydney, but how cool!" I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> I know."
1: <laughs> I love that. And and Georgia, where do you see yourself? Where do you hope to continue um, your passion and love for what you do? How, you know, is there a vision in terms of next five years or even ten years?
0: Oh, it's, a, it's a really scary question to ask, I think. Um, but I mean, as nervous as thinking about that makes me, I sort of look back and go, well, if seven years ago if you'd asked me if I'd lived in the Northern Territory with no phone reception, I would have said no. But I did it, so yeah. I guess it, you know, you just take the opportunities they come. Um, I don't know. It's a really tricky one. I mean, um, you know without going into detail, I'm a 27 year old woman in the 21st century. And that in itself brings on a lot of challenges. You know, you you see things like climate change being brought up a lot and what it's going to look like for children. And then you hear Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins speaking in parliament about their experiences in the big, scary world. So it's a really unique situation. um, But I think it's all about just as I said surrounding yourself with the right people so that if opportunities come up you aren't scared to take them you know you need support networks I've got the most incredible family and group of friends my partner as well like um, I think whatever the next 10 years looks like on paper it's probably going to take a lot of work off paper to have gotten me there. Mm. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm a very reflective person. I'm always trying to learn from what I've done or what I want to do or the people around me. So, you know, in the next 10 years, I guess you want to have the standard, you know, I, I do want kids. I want a family. I want to be happy. I want to be secure. I want to be healthy. So how I get there is going to be a really interesting journey, knowing my track record. But I guess, <laughs> I guess that's the end goal on paper. It's just going to be yeah. what it looks like.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: way.
1: Georgia, I, I love talking to you and I'm grateful for this conversation. I love that you, you know, really trust yourself and the path and the opportunities that come and that you take them at the right time. Um, and And I hope that this certainly inspires somebody else on their own path and to diverge a little bit, to do, you know, no matter, no matter how weird or different it feels, to really embrace that difference, um, even if everyone else is saying, really? Um, it's, you know, you're an extraordinary young woman who's got so – you know, incredible things coming your way. And um, I look forward to continuing this conversation and seeing what you're doing.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Susie. It's it's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's yeah, I've had, had a nice think about everything and it's really nice to sit back and reflect with someone like yourself. So you
1: incredible. Know, it, incredible. If yeah, it
0: comes down to trusting myself to drive twenty six hours from Sydney <laughs> for something I'm not qualified for, then <laughs> No one else on your podcast should be ever questioning what they (laughs) (laughs) do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much, Georgia. Thank
0: you, Susie. Thank you for listening to Susie Petruzzi's Empowered Conversations. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, visit susiepetruzzi.com.